0: Um, and all from all from the, the melting pot that was Snabbidge. Um yeah. the, the music scene of the 90s, if you like. Um, but I, Myself, I grew up in Quarry Bonk, which is a very black country town. And um, I, there was just one thing I knew about what I wanted to do with my life was that I didn't want to be me. I wanted to try and be somebody else. So I wanted to be an actor. Um, everything I did through education was kind of aimed towards being an actor. Mm-hmm. I, I had a very low self-opinion. Um, I ended up doing a play where they forced me to sing. Some guys had got a band and they said, well, you, you can sing, you mm-hmm. can sing for us. And, and I never really looked back, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's that's where I started. Um, college is always a great place for mm-hmm. bands to get going. You've got a, a bunch of mates to tap into, a bunch of friends to go and bring to to your mm-hmm. shows. Um, and if you're lucky, like like we were, you'll get a bit of momentum going, mm-hmm. and those fans will tell about tell their other friends about you, and uh, you'll you'll build um, a reputation, and you you'll, you'll get somewhere.
1: Brilliant. Okay, so the background to what we're going to do today is I'm I'm probably going to ask you about ten questions, I think, which will probably take a few five minutes, probably each question, and then I wanted these guys to have the chance to to ask you things really from from your experience of. Um, touring and your current job now as well which we can talk about the industry side to what you do now because you're quite mm-hmm. knowledgeable about the promotion sides and music industry and uh, what bands are going through then so we'll talk about that a bit later on mm-hmm. um, we could see if we've got time to play any of any tracks or not later I don't know how far you guys are if you've got any tracks ready to play and we can listen to a couple of them we shall see how the day takes us really so yeah. hopefully about an hour in here doing this and then 20 minutes at the end for for questions and then you're here to hang out, really, aren't you? A bit after that as well. Yep. I think we have got a couple yep. of bands to I'm meet after. So uh, let's get into it, John. Um, you've kind of just told us a bit of the background to John Penny and what you do, and uh, and Ned's. Um, what do you think was the specific breakthrough that got um, got you to got you to gig, really, and got you to got Ned's as the success it had? Because I'm always interested in asking people: Is it one pinpoint thing? Was it a key gig that you did? Was it a key radio presenter? Is there something do you believe that um, kind of tips the balance for a lot of bands to go right? as Soon as we've done that, that will then stack everything else up.
0: I think I, th- I think with us there'd be a couple of things that there'd be a very early on one and, and one a little bit later that kind of seem like tipping points, um, but I think the the thing that the common thread with them I suppose is is very much the kind of. Um, attitude that, that you it's do or die, you know, you've got to make it work, this thing, you've got to do it um full throttle, as if your life depends upon it, you know. And um so putting it into context, early days, um lucky for us, we we're in Stourbridge and in <coughs> Stourbridge there's a couple of bands called Populate Itself and the Wonder Stuff who'd already started making inroads into 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 getting an audience and releasing rec- records and stuff. Um so one night we were, in the, we were in the pub, we were in the mitre in Starbridge, and a couple of members of Pop Religious Self were in there. Our bass player had blown his bass amp up the, the day before. We'd got a gig the night after. We were kind of stuck for gear. Um, and, and you were
1: uh, college students at this point?
0: We were college students, so most of us were at Hales Owen College at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, But we drank in Stourbridge, Um, it just happened to be a a kind of a crucible of of creativity, people like to hang out in Stourbridge if they were creative types, Mm -hmm. artistic people as much as musicians, you know. But anyway, um, so our our bass player's scratching his head, what am I going to do about a a bass rig, because people didn't lend gear to each other, it wasn't particularly all Mm -hmm. that common a thing really to have your own gear, you know. so he walked up to the bar, and uh, he, he walked up to Clint Mansell from Popper Leads itself mm. at the bar, a man he'd never spoken to in his entire life, a guy he'd seen on Top of the Pops. Um, and he said, any chance we could borrow your bass rig? We've got a gig tomorrow night. Mm. And Clint said, yeah, all right. <laughs> uh, which, which, you know, we were kind of stunned at. Mm. But the, the, the thing being that, um, I suppose, Clint and his band and the Wonder stuff and, and, and those, those musicians, they kind of felt, very much uh, sort of a, a brotherly, collective feeling, like they weren't necessarily musically akin, but they they, they were part of a kind of a, a scene, and they, they wouldn't call it a scene. None of us would have done it at the time. But it was like a a will-to-be-creative, a kind of a, a, a we're-all-in-it-together kind of vibe. Anyway, long story short, um, Clint Mansell came to the gig the following night just to look, out, look at the bass up, make sure it didn't get broke, you know, <laughs> check it out. Mm-hmm. And um, he saw us play, and he saw something. He saw something he, he thought was a massive potential and gave us some gigs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was a tipping point. It was a, but I think, I think philosophically, um, it, was, it was Alex having the courage to go talk to a guy who's famous and just ask the question, you know, because mm-hmm. he's a guy like everyone else is. He's, he's a person. He's a creative person. He's probably got something in common with you. And, of course, he had got something in common with us. Um, so having the having the courage and the guts to go and ask him, and you know it, it's kind of that that willingness to 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 do whatever is necessary, you know. Um, so that was a tipping point, and then a bit further down the line, as a consequence of playing shows with Pop Will Eat itself again, lucky us. They're mates with the Wonder stuff. The one, they tell the Wonder stuff is this new band called the Neds Atomic Dustman, give them some gigs. We had some gigs with them. People started talking about us in in London in the the, the kind of industry side of things. Mm -hmm. And um, probably an avenue that that you may not um, put a lot of merit to, but it's probably one to really bear in mind. Um, Press officer, lady's name was Jane Houghton um, at at the time, was moving in circles in London around the Enemy and the Melody Maker and all these kind of magazines. was Good friends with people who worked with Pop Elite itself doing their press and the one stuff doing their press and a couple of other bands that were coming through at the time and there's a small pool of people they talk to each other and and their business is knowing what's next they, that's that's what they're about what's next okay we, we, they're doing they were doing the happy Mondays at the time and and the spiral carpets mm. and all these other people, but that's kind of in the bag it was their business to know what the next thing's going to be. That was important to them to have have the feelers out and mm-hmm. sniff around. So they heard about us. They came to see us. Obviously, they weren't going to put their neck on the line for something that's rubbish. They wanted to go see and see if they felt the same about the potential. They saw us play, liked us, saw the same potential, and then they started talking about us to a lot of people. Um, and it it wasn't necessarily a, a whole bunch of press coverage. It wasn't loads of reviews. Mm-hmm. It was just that again it's a fairly small pool of people it, it was at the time and they, they were talking about you, people were talking about you and all of a sudden instead of being like a pub band in Stourbridge you're a band that people on a, a kind of a national level are, are chatting about they've, most people haven't even heard you, they've got no idea what it's about but your name's there and people are talking about it uh, and, and people don't commit to saying how great a band is lightly so if if. if Someone is into your stuff uh, and they, they say the same thing to, the, to to the right people. it can make a massive difference it really can
1: so I guess this is before a um, record label got involved or even a booking yeah. agent um, signed you up officially and a management company got involved so the, absolutely so the first thing is really is to get some get networking with other bands and get decent press behind you and get that buzz kind of going around and that then I would guess lines up the record label and lines up the, the management company
0: well this is the thing you know um, without trying to be too business minded the most important thing is that you're enjoying creating stuff and you love it and it's, and it's all about you it's your thing don't worry about whether it sounds right to be sellable it's your thing but then the next thing is who's, who's your audience who are they who are, the, who are these people um, Find your audience, play to them as much as you possibly can, but build up your own audience. Because the record labels, aren't going to touch you till there is one. They're not interested until they can see who that audience is. Who are they?
1: That model hasn't changed as well from back then to what it is now. No,
0: No, absolutely not. Mm. So, okay, even if a record label are going to pick you up before you have a massive following, Mm. the record label will probably think, well, okay, well, who's the following going to be? Mm. who Who are the the potential audience of this band? do they exist you know mm. <laughs> and 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 yeah i I think you, what you do is you kind of you make yourselves a little bit immune to the fickleness of the industry if you 've earned your own audience if you've you those people have come to you from you you haven't some music industry person hasn't persuaded them that you 're a cool band to be into they 've heard you and liked you. Mm-hmm. You know, and those people, they are very loyal people, you know, they'll stick with you.
1: And I think it's an important point that what we tend to ask all the bands going up and down the country, um, we ask them a, you know, a similar question, which is, don't tell us who your influences are, tell us who you could go and support at the Academy next week, that would be a great mix for you. So you know there's going to be 2,000 people in that room, and those 2,000 people, because they've come to see that big, whoever that main band is, they're going to like your band as well. A lot of bands struggle being able to say, oh, yeah, well, if you put us out with Royal Blood or if you put us out with um, another current band like that, then, yes, we might sound like we're in the same genre as them, but those people in that room are going to like us.
0: And it's, it's a sticking point with people, for me, who are of, of, of a, the right mind and the right attitude. Mm. Who says oh, I'm right? I don't know. But for me, it, the, the best way to create stuff is to be true to yourself and to be as original as you possibly can, to, to plough your own furrow. You're going to succeed better the more proud of your own product you are, is, is my feeling. Yeah. But being able to, to answer that question mm. kind of runs against that because you're kind of thinking, well, you, you, you kind of maybe feel like you're seeding the point that you might sound like someone else. Mm. Well, number one, you will sound like someone else. It's unavoidable, really. Mm. Um, but number two, that isn't a conversation you're having with your audience. Mm. That's not something you're bandying around on your Facebook page. You don't need to broadcast that. It's something that's useful to the people who need some help to be interested in you. So the the lad who's booking the the local venue you want to play, and you're trying to persuade the the lad or or lady that that there's a gig for you, for you to support, well, they've got five, ten minutes to to wonder about, ponder about whether your band can go on the bill anywhere, whether they're good for any of the gigs they've got on their books. You tell them who, who your audience might be, Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe I could put them with this one. Maybe I can put them with this band. You're not saying that you're the same as other bands. You're making it easy for the people who can help you out. Mhm.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, what about then? What were the um, the best experiences of that era and that stick out from going back? Where well, you got to cast your memory back? How, how many years now? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to, well, let's we've say been going the, 30 years now so from the late 80s to the mid 90s really that's yeah. that's yeah so what's what's the stick out things of you know from being on um magazine covers or being on a major label or um touring around the world you know what what's the things that stick out that you go oh, I, I love that era or i love that part and love
0: these experiences that that we did the, the biggest one for me was, was glastonbury um mm and um let, let, let's not be daft we weren't on the pyramid stage so we weren't on the main stage and mm. um, we headlined back then it was called the enemy stage so the second stage was the enemy stage um and we headlined that on the, i think it was the saturday night in 93 and um <laughs> <laughs> okay and <they> were there. <laughs> you were there <laughs> well, okay what are you gonna you're gonna get the perspective now <laughs> yeah um and I mean, you 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 know you see those stages. They're they're big, aren't they? And and the 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 ramp that you walk up to get onto the stage, mm-hmm. it's it's like a massive long walkway. And um, I, you know, I'll, I'll fess up. I I'm nervous before every single show. Mm-hmm. I, I'm nervous. It's good. It's part of my makeup. The more nervous I am, the better. The bigger the gig, the more nervous I am. So I was absolutely terrified. My legs mm-hmm. barely carried me up the ramp. Mm-hmm. Those jelly legs, you know, and um. I got to the side of stage and John Peel was hosting, and uh, John Peel took a look at me. <laughs> he, he announced, he just announced us, so we were going about to go on. He looked at me, and uh, I just saw his face. He's just like a picture of sympathy, and he got up from behind his desk, put his arm round, and went like, "Go get him, mate," <laughs> and <just> pushed me <laughs> onto the stage. Yeah. But. Um, The thing with that show was that you you couldn't see where the audience finished, so you couldn't... The horizon was still people, Mm. Um, and we kind of of strike up, um, and um, Blur Blur supported us, so they'd just been on, (laughs) and Damien, bless his cotton socks, had just blown all the monitors, Mm -hmm. so he'd stuffed a mic into the side fill, and just boom. Mm. So we started the gig, and I couldn't hear a thing, so I was even more terrified, um, but we did two or three songs. We got into it, and um, and then we played. We played um, Kill Your Television, um, which was our—if you don't know—that was our kind of crossover song. It was the, the, the top of the pops
1: moment. moment. It,
0: well, we, we weren't on top of the pops with Kill Your Television. Actually, it was um, it was like an, an indie number one single. Right, okay. it kind of. It was the thing that sort of announced us, if you like, mm-hmm. to the to the world. But anyway, we strike up Kill Television, and the crowd the entire crowd starts going up and down like this mm. and um, I had this moment where I started singing and the crowd started singing and then I just don't, I got this enormous lump in my throat because I remembered waking up in the middle of the night in my flat in lie mm-hmm. <laughs> rolling over and thinking soap for sore eyes that was the lyric I needed mm. and writing it down on a little scrap of paper in my drunken stupor you know waking up the next morning and mm. oh yeah fin- finish finished that song, great, and that from that to that mm. you know thirty thousand people I guess singing those words back to me, and just what a absolute miracle that mm. is
1: it's a great it's, experience of to, you know, to say you've done, and it's it's the, well it's a dream isn't it that's what everyone wants you know that type of recognition and that type of experience coming back but what I'm interested, because we spoke about this at the last Masterclass as well, um, what's your views on signings of a major as well at the time? Because I don't know if you wanted to go through the financial stuff again, but I found that so interesting last time yeah, when, when you yeah. talked about it and <clears> the <throat> reality of what you got back from it. Those experiences are great and no one can ever take those away from you, but the actual reality of being on the major.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, is it the same now? I, I couldn't 100% tell you. I, I don't know. John was
1: on Sony, sorry, I think it yeah,
0: was Yeah, your... so I, I, was, I was on Sony. Um, I started off on a, a label from um, Warwick called Chapter Twenty Two Records, and um, again it was kind of friends of friends of people that our manager knew and Poppy's knew and people we knew. Anyway, um, that deal with the indie label was a handshake deal, which means nothing, <laughs> right? So there's a lesson learned straight away. It meant nothing. It, it was a fantastic catapult for us. We had three indie number one singles on that label and the third one we we were being courted by Sony Records for a major deal at the time that we released the third independent single and what we wanted to do was kind of thank um, the indie label if you like for their support Um, and we also wanted to achieve a chart single on an independent label which really hadn't been done at that point in time so we wanted to, you know, we wanted to be able to brag and say, right, well, we hit, we hit the top twenty on an indie label. How about that? Mm. So we stayed on that label instead of releasing that single on. It was until you find out. Instead of releasing it on Sony, which we could have done, um, they ran out of records by the Monday, which meant that we went into the chart at fifty three. When it probably would have been top ten, top fifteen at mm. that point in time, because it was very, it was very well timed. Um, and we never saw a penny from Chapter Twenty Two, ever. <laughs> okay. Mm. So there's one lesson learned. It was a fantastic <laughs> propulsion of our mm. of our stuff out there, and, and it got mm. us got us ticking over. But the handshake deal, yeah, you want to think twice about that one. Then the major deal at the time there was a great deal of stigma attached to going from being an independent band to being a, a band on a major label. You know, I got abuse on trains and stuff mm. when, when it got into the, the, the papers that we'd done it.
1: It'd be Twitter nowadays. Eh? Yeah, it'd be Twitter now, it
0: would, Yeah, it'd be Twitter Anyway. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but we did that. We did that because the independent labels just could not cope with the the volume they needed to and the distribution they needed to for us to succeed. Yeah. And so what it comes back to, I guess, at the end of the day, was, was your ambition, you know. And the ambition is... is, is You know, money is a factor, but at that point in our lives, we were still not earning as much as our mates who were working in banks and stuff. You know, Mm. the ambition was to leave the biggest footprint you could possibly leave on the planet. You know, it was to be as popular as you could possibly be and get your stuff out to as many people as you possibly could. It's this thing that I guess is built into all of us that we want to be more than we already are, you know. So we, we, we signed to a major label, and, and that's why we did it, you know. And we signed as a label. So we said, okay, everything we do has got to have our own label imprint on it. And we, we formed a label called 30 Records. So we were Sony Music, but it was 30 Records. Mm. But that deal was a standard deal at the time. It was for eight albums. Well, who does eight albums these days, you know? They had an option on every, every one of the next eight albums, so they could keep us on for each album for the next eight, if we were to do that. Really. Mm. But a standard deal, and one that was viewed as being quite a reasonably good deal, meant that we got 13% of the net profit on our record sales. 13% between five of us on the net
1: can we just break that down a little bit more as well, so if it's net, okay. so if...
0: So, okay, so they spend... Uh, well, let's, let's just throw It's 10 throw quid in the sums. shops.
1: You're getting the price of it going to the shop, aren't you? Yeah. Whatever they got from yeah. that. So a yeah. fiver, say, for argument's sake.
0: Yeah, and this, of course, is after they've paid to record the thing, which, what, thir- back then, 30,000 quids worth, which is mm. these days, is peanuts, but then was a lot of money. Mm. Um, they've paid for, back then, for you to go on tour to promote the thing yeah, around the world so you've got visas, crew um, tour buses, all that kind of stuff and we'll come to, come to this later, the, the mm. business about um, touring and, and releases Ad-swops, and the relationship yeah. that has in, in terms of income, but the record label have got a lot of outlay, they'll pay all that off first and then when they've paid all that off, mm. they'll take their cut and then they'll pay you your fifth share of thirteen <laughs> percent, and guess what? I've never had a royalty from Sony Music, never
1: after a million records being sold. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. It's just the realities, isn't it? You know? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Which is because because everyone I think assumes a billion albums must mean you're a millionaire, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's well, just far you? far from the reality, isn't it? You know, no. oh yeah, you know, that's ten pound an album, a million of them sold, that's ten million pounds, which has gone somewhere, but.
0: And without getting too into the nitty-gritty and the complexities of it, for example, something that was stitched up legally that we wouldn't have really realised when we signed, but um, we were signed to the UK arm of Sony Music with a worldwide deal for distribution. We sold half a million records in America. The American record label didn't fund any of that. The UK label did. So the American label made an absolute Bomb out of us, Mm. the UK label had to pay for the privilege, and still we made nothing. Mm. Mm. Yeah? So, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting stuff.
1: But what we can learn from this, I guess, you know, and if you had your time again, would you have looked at getting a manager in to have like completely ripped that deal apart, or do you just think that was what the deal was at the time? What would you advise to these guys now if they were? In a similar position about the size of a major.
0: Well, it's yeah, it, 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 it's a it's it's hard one, isn't it? Um, I would just employ someone who understands the small print and see whether see what is negotiable. That's mm. the crunch, really. Is mm. what is negotiable? I mean, mm. what I don't know from from that point in time is how much negotiation there could have been. Mm. You know, we we were courted by several record labels and. Um, Sony came up with the biggest advance, mm. and the biggest budgets for things and whatever, so we saw the bigger sum. Mm. And I guess we went for the bigger sum. I was going to say, what about publishing? Well, that? publishing's a different story altogether yeah. and, a, and much story. Yeah. Mm. a much nicer story. Absolutely. It's a much nicer story. Entirely, because um, the reason chapter, chapter 22 didn't take any risks for us, mm. the first thing they did was go to Polygram Music at the time, which is what Universal is now. And they went to Polygram and said, we've got this great new band. Give us five grand and we'll put a record out and you can have the publishing on it. And they did that. So they, Polygram paid for, the, for the, the record, not Chapter 22. Mm-hmm. But Polygram had got their hooks into us. We were quite happy because we got a publisher. And then every new single, they put a little bit more money into us. But, of course, the, the, the massive difference between a record label and a publishing company is that the publishing company have virtually no outlay. Those little advances they might put into producing your record or your download or whatever, those little bits there, well, they learn them back quite quickly. But their profit, and your share of their profit, if you like, is not, it's not down to sales. It isn't down to how well that record does. And that's a real massive distinction. So if Sony Music print up 60,000 copies of our first album. And they only sell 5,000. Sony Music are in the shit. (laughs) Mm. Because they've overspent and they've made nothing back. Sony Music will pay Polygram Music, the publisher, X amount of money purely for the privilege of making those records. Makes no odds to Polygram how many are sold because they've been paid already. They get their money anyway. And they have to be paid because the, the stuff can't be used without the publisher being paid. So you're publishing money, hmm. way way more stable, less of a rip off, and uh, yeah, that that's where the money, that's where our money is.
1: I'm just conscious that there might be a few uh, people in here. I'm not going to say young because that's a bit patronising, but there might be people in here who just want to literally know the breakdown between what a publisher does and what a record label does and the differences. Does anyone want to know that or is yeah, okay, it's absolutely okay. fine because we're all here to. To learn, so yeah, you, you basically you're um, you, you can see the publishing side and the publishing in- industry is the part which has no physical product at the end, it's about the rights within who wrote what, the composition part. So it doesn't matter who played on it. So if a session player played on it but didn't write any of it, they wouldn't get any of the publishing income. It's literally about who wrote the lyrics who wrote the music, and in your guys' case, it would be an equal it's share of five-way split, yeah. Five-way split. Um, you 2 are the same as well. They do a five-way split on all their publishing. Oasis, for example, don't do a, that. It's no. all Noel Gallagher, who does, yeah. does all that. Okay. Um, <laughs> then you've got the record label contract, which is literally the physical product at the end, so it's the yeah. rights within. You went into a recording studio, you made a record, and then you come out with a master disc. Who owns that? and it's the record label who own it if they paid for it basically and which gives them the right to sell it make copies of it um and make millions of pounds from the physical disc or the the vinyl being being sold which you've got down there where you make money from the publishing in general is not just uh from royalty collection so it's not just the track being played on radio and the comp- the composers getting it it's things like TV and sync as well so you would get um if your music gets featured in a computer game or if it gets featured in a big film or in gets featured in, a, in an advert that's very lucrative for uh you know for, especially for films yeah which be. Your friend as well, actually, Clint uh, Boom, who was in Poppolis itself, would know far more about because he went off to Clint become... Clint Mansell, a, yeah. Come, yeah. Sorry, yeah, Clint, Clint Mansell, sorry, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, yeah. I'm of Clint Boom. He's perhaps. in Spiral Carpets. So. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, same Clint, difference. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Clint,
1: Clint went off to become a multi-million pound film composer, didn't he? He did, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and uh, was he composed for Moon, is it? Was it the last film he yeah, did? Yeah, he like?
0: did... Um, Noah, Requiem for Dreams, the one he's most famous for, isn't it? Yeah, Requiem yeah. for a Dream. But he's done, he's done lots. He did um, Black Swan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so. Another guy from Starbridge as well. It's amazing. And isn't Clint, it? Clint is the guy that I made friends with, with in, in Poplar itself. And Clint is the guy who, had, in a very drunken party at a nurse's um, flat, collared me up the corner, steaming drunk, just went, yeah. John, you've got something. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> you've got it. Yeah yeah anyway, you've got it, whatever it is keep keep at it yeah and uh, um, yeah and that's that's, that's, nice. that's a chap who lives in the Hollywood hills now, so that kind of i don't find it's quite as good as he did though yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't swap my life for ease <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> so that kind of brings us round to um point question six really, which is here. What made the band successful then, going back to what Clint said? What was the what was unique part in that sum? Okay, so... We talked about that as well, if you remember. Yes, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, um, talk about the music first. Um, musically, our, our strength and weakness was that there were five individuals in our band who were fairly well opinionated, with very different uh, musical tastes, and we were a collaborative songwriting band. Nobody ever came in the room and said, "I've got a song," because the rest of would all go, mm-hmm. "You ain't got a song, you got a riff, and we'll see what, whether we like it or not." You know, um, so you had five people's um, tastes and views and, and, and standards to satisfy for a song. Um, we had two bass players. Okay, I got I got drunk having invited one. Mm. who'd actually only bought a bass three days earlier and had never played. Mm. I got drunk after inviting him and then invited another one who who played in a completely different style of, of playing, a bit like Peter Hook in New Order, if anyone's familiar with that, and mm. Joy Division, kind of chords and high notes and whatever. So we had our first rehearsal and there were two bass players. Um, and then Dan, the, the drummer, had come along to play drums as a favour He was a bass player who didn't like playing drums, but he he, he played drums to help us out. And the guitarist who came, um, I'd only seen him playing bass, and his brother, his big brother, had sold him a guitar the week before, so he'd just started playing guitar. So at the first rehearsal, we had four bass players in the room, and the only instrument I'd thought about playing was bass, so potentially five. Um, But anyway, the point being that... um, we we were almost bound to come up with a different sound. We were almost bound to be original um, to a large degree. Very lucky. And that chemistry is something, God, there's no maths to it. It's just, you know, if you're lucky it happens, doesn't it? If you're very, very lucky. Um, but I guess the, the, the thing being that we wanted to, to, to create our own thing and we weren't bothered about um being like whatever other band we wanted to be our own band the other thing that was quite interesting about us I suppose is that most of us had been in other bands the majority of us had and, and none of them were any good but oh, my band was appalling um, so we kind of left our bands and formed this one we were aware of each other if you like um, but there was a kind of a competition so we, we weren't mates for a start we weren't friends we didn't know each other uh, particularly well um, and I think we all had a point to prove. We all had a point to prove. From early days, I was terrified that I was going to be the first one kicked out of the band because I was a crap singer. You know, the rest of them obviously could play <clears throat> quite early on. They could play, so they got something to offer to bring to the party. Me, I was just this crap singer whining in the corner. So I thought I'd get sacked. Um, but there were points to prove. And so what that did was it kind of it brought about a sort of um, quality control to the ideas that people brought into the rehearsal room. So kind of a pride thing. And I'm not saying that it's absent in other bands, I'm sure it, I'm sure it's there. But it's an important thing that you tip up to the rehearsal with something that you're proud of. And then if everyone does that, mm-hmm. the quality is going to go through the roof automatically. You know, and if you're satisfying lots of people who will turn around and say, Well, you're not my mate, Now nah, that's crap. Mm-hmm. You know, the quality, the standard will will raise that way. So then the other I suppose the other thing, forget the music then. Branding, um, we recognised very early on, the guy who took, a, who took us under his wing and started to kind of manage us at an early phase was a lad called um, Tank. He was the brother of the drummer of the Wonder Stuff. It's all very incestuous. Um, yeah, incestuous. But um, he sold T-shirts for the Wonder Stuff, So he'd seen firsthand at this point in time how powerful logos were and, and how useful having you, uh, an attractive T-shirt could be for a band. For us, it paid for our petrol for the first four tours. Loud T-shirts with a, a really distinctive logo on it. And the thing is, you know, if if you've got a mate who's vaguely artistic, you might have one in the band if you're lucky. That'd be, that'd be even better. You, what you do is you use whatever you can and you use whoever you know to, to get things to a quality that, that kind of says what you need it to say about you, you know. And a friend of a friend was a girl called Helga, and she designed our logo for us. We whacked it on T-shirts all over the shop. Very loud logo, very noticeable. And instead of us needing to be pretty boys, needing to have some kind of a groomed style Mm. or whatever... Uh, and I have a fantastic photo and a brilliant press pack. Didn't need any of that kind of stuff. We had this logo that just screamed at you. Okay, so that's that band, you know. Do you Assume... want to hold it
1: up on your um, on your records of that? Okay, because that probably demonstrates it well as well. There you go. <laughs> yeah. This a itself. But
0: um, yeah. But I mean, a guy a guy on EastEnders wore it. Yeah. We were completely unheard of, and somehow or other. An Ed's T-shirt found its way to this guy. And uh, he wore it back to front, actually, because we had a small logo on the front and a big one on the back. And he wore it back to front, so the big logo was on the front. But you think of
1: the, um, the classic logos which are still around today, which like sell in Primark and places like that. I mean, I've, yeah. I mean when I've taught um, 16-year-olds or 16, 17-year-olds in some of the classes going up and down the country... Some of them were gods on truth. Thought the Ramones was a, was a clothing brand. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't realise can, it was an actual band. You can band. imagine,
0: can't you? Yeah, they go yeah, oh, you can, go
1: yeah, that's in Primark. That is, and you're like, yeah. do you know it's a band? Is it? I just thought they made it up, and it's like, but it's those classic yeah. things. Like Motorhead are another one, aren't they? They've sold more t shirts than albums.
0: Yeah, well, everyone said that about us, and we did. <laughs> I think. But, 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 yeah, but you top, probably made more money on the t-shirts. We did, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it wasn't thirteen percent between five on those. Yeah. yeah. But um, <laughs> But top tip, if you know if there's someone in the band or there's a friend or someone who's capable of doing a logo for you, okay, top top tip. Get them to do it in mono first. Get it black on white first. Get it so it looks great like that, then it'll work in any colour, it'll work in any format. Mm. Make it black and white to begin with. Very, very practical tip, but it makes a big difference. You can fart about with colours and stuff as much as you want afterwards, but make it work in black and white.
1: Do you know another tip I always say to bands as well? I mean, I'll, I'll go into a few of these, but is um, when you've got your T-shirts for sale at the back of the room, and if you, you know, if you manage to get one done, if you can afford to, try and have two different contrasting designs, because... Mm. People naturally come up to a merch desk, and if they see a T-shirt for sale, and that's their only choice, you've immediately presented them with, yes or no, I'm going to buy mm. that T-shirt or not buy it. Yes. If there's two different contrasting designs, and they want both of them, you've you've got two yeses, and it's, oh, shall I buy that one, or shall I buy that one, and you've got immediately two yeses.
0: Absolutely. And
1: get your female shirts right as well. Bands don't spend enough time getting the, the girl shirts in the right fit or the right size, you know. Let's assume that girls just want an extra large black t shirt, you
0: know. Well, I, I, and in fairness, that comes down to the business about knowing your audience as well. Yeah. Because you might be surprised to know that um, the merch company that we use for our, the tour we did this year, very good company, they, they do lots and lots of market research and they know these audiences really well. Mm. They actually came to the conclusion that for our audience, it wasn't worth doing a girly shirt.
1: Oh, right, okay.
0: because of the age they are what they remember from the, the, the time when they first bought the, mm. the demographic they will buy a men's small t-shirt more than they will buy a fitted lady shirt right. but know your audience yeah. and know what that difference is because there will be some audiences where the, the girls won't go anywhere near a, a small men's shirt they'll want a fitted shirt exactly yeah. as you say well, yeah. but know the audience
1: you just need that kind of business savvy, don't you, to, to come in and go right. This is this is where we're at, and these are the t-shirts we're going to do. Yeah. my uh, my mum still wants a word with you about the. Uh, we've talked about it. Now let's fuck.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't for sale. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't for sale. It was a crew shirt. <laughs> and actually, I'll tell you what. I'll give you. Yeah, if it doesn't take too much time, I'll give you the story on that. Um, back in my day, I don't know if it's the same now, but record company and publishing company executives were strange people. And um, our manager had been in to negotiate a new deal with um, Polygram that turned into Universal. Um, and the, the chap who ran it, um, he was an old man. Anyway, they'd had a bit of a negotiation about how, what this deal would be like. And they got to the end of the conversation and uh, the, the Universal boss, or Polygram boss, said, right then, Tank, we've talked about it. Now let's fuck. <laughs> <laughs> To seal the deal. Yeah. So we thought this was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we did Reading Festival, and we were like um, second on the bill to Sisters of Mercy. Yeah. And we, we did these shirts for all of our crew, and on the front it said, we've talked about it, and on the back it said, now let's fuck.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and in 1991, someone walked up to me in the field and said, I'll give you 100 quid for that t-shirt on the spot. <laughs> 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 I bought it off a mate. I don't know where it is. did you? It I don't know where mine is. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! His mom, um, but I didn't sell it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't sell it. But no, we, we never, we never oh. sold those. We never, we never okay. put them out for sale.
1: How did, you got something exclusive then? If you got that, <laughs> well, the, eBay.
0: No, I don't know where it is. <laughs> There's probably only twenty made. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, yeah. I'd find it out if I were bad. you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Right, that's kind of um, brought me now round to uh, how you got back together in recent years. So Obviously, the band stopped in the mid '90s. Mm-hmm. You're welcome to talk a little bit about why it stops, but um, I'm interested now is you know how it's different nowadays because obviously you've just did a uh, set of gigs last year. Um, this year, actually. This hey, year, cool. sorry, with um, the wonder, wonder, wonder stuff, the wonder stuff yeah, and then your next one's coming up next year will be Pop Release itself again mm-hmm. from. But you're playing, still playing, you know, academy-style venues, two or three thousand a night, and still selling, selling lots of tickets, lots of t-shirts. What's the experience like now compared to back then? Now you're all, now you've all got kids, and you're all
0: mature. Like that. <laughs> 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 We're all mature till we get in the tour bus, and then, yeah. <laughs> um. Well, the, the reason we split up, okay, you you remember all that money that Sony Music was spending on us? So Sony Music. Um, within these walls, because I'm sure you won't tell anyone else. I'm there, I'm there. And, 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 <laughs> and, and everywhere. They, they spent probably pushing on for about three quarters of a million quid on trying to make us um, a, a worldwide success on paying for tours and God knows what. Um, and that money never got recouped. It never they never, made, never made to the point where we get money out of that. Um, and they, they reached a point, I guess, after a few years where they thought, you know what? Let's try it with someone else now. We'll ditch this lot. So they they pulled the plug on on our record deal after three albums, which is standard practice, you know. It's like bands have a shelf like shelf life, don't they? And, and ours came to an end. So that was that was quite a difficult thing to deal with at the time. But I suppose at that point in time when we split up, um, we'd just gone over a, a kind of a hump. Our entire career had been like whew, success, success, success. So you always get on really well with each other, all the little foibles you've got, all the little disagreements that might occur, the differences that you might have. Those things, they mean nothing because you, what you're doing is successful. So you can get over all that kind of stuff, you just keeps climbing and climbing. Oh look, we're on top of the box this week. Oh look, we're in America this week. Oh look, we're at Glastonbury this week. And then it plateaus off and then, oh that didn't do quite so well. Oh that wasn't quite so great. Oh, I wonder whose fault that is. Uh, I never got on with him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and this is what happened. So, so when Sony dropped us, essentially we didn't really have the strength, if you like, of, of unity to carry on. We didn't have a big fallout. We didn't have a big fight. There was mm. no recriminations. We just knew we weren't a strong enough unit to,
1: to recover from, that. To
0: recover from mm. that blow. So we split up. Um, these years later... Um, three of us um, had been doing some gigs with a couple of lads filling in for the the two missing members. We'd been doing that for a few years. But then a girl who who looked after us in Australia on an Australian tour for the promoter on one of our days off, a lady called Marnie, um, who had moved to England and started working for a primary um, talent agency, called me up and said, right, I'm determined. I'm going to get all, four, all all five members back together again. What's it going to take? I was like, I don't know, Ronnie. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know what it's going to take. Um, and a couple of the members had, had said that, um, although they weren't all that keen on each other, they'd kind of had this thing where they said, I'm only coming back if he's coming back, even though he, wasn't, he was the pe- person I got unleashed with. We're only coming back if the other one's coming back. Anyway, um, the Astoria came forward with an offer, Mm -hmm. And we did a gig um, at the Astoria, and it all worked out. And as soon as we were back in that room together, everything just clicked back, and it was the same jokes from 91. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it all sort of fell into place. But the the difference between this now and that point at the end when it all kind of stopped is just absolutely vast. And it's something that creeps up to you, and creeps up on you when when you're in amongst it, when, when you're popular. That business about wanting to perpetuate your, your popularity and do the right thing to m- make sure you stay popular. And your record label people are all talking about shifting units. And, you know, I, they used to say to me, Why don't you put the chorus as the name of the song, John, for God's sake? You know, your chorus is this, why don't you call the song this? Because that's a shit title for a song. And I want to call it this. But all those kind of things that they slowly force you to take on board. And it all kind of waters down the meaning of the band, mm. and you know it, it all kind of becomes a beast that you're not 100% familiar with anymore. All that stuff's out the window now because now we're doing it because not because we have to, not because we're desperate to keep our popularity. We're doing it for the same reasons we did it when we first started, because we love doing it, you know. And um, that is a key factor to winning people's hearts when, when you first start out that's absolutely core to whether you're going to be successful or not because if you communicate to people from stage that you love this you love doing it you're really enjoying it that that just transmits to the audience and they they want to be part of it it's like a football match you know it's like the like the whole end at the villa willing the ball into the goal you know the people watching they want you to succeed they want to be part of it and buy into that experience with you, but that is born of enjoyment and fun. That's where it starts from. It's where if you if you can keep it that way, you, you're on a winner. But mm. there can be some distractions.
1: Mm. What about working f- with uh, agents now as well? Because We talked about that briefly in in the van. Is um, I presume now because what we said before I think was that the income from live gigs back then. There's nothing like what it is now. Why would that be? Do you think what's swapped around to make live your the best income for a band?
0: So the industry from the nineties and the industry now is, is, is completely on its head. It's it's kind of mm. in the nineties it was about selling units of records, CDs, tapes, vi- long form videos, T-shirts or whatever, but the recorded music side of it was the was the key income for the bands, and you know, we, we, our situation oddly enough is quite common quite common that um, the record label would advance a certain amount of money to make a record you would pay your wages out of that for, for that period of time and you wouldn't necessarily get royalties and stuff until, until you started selling multiple millions of records or, or, or CDs so that was your income um, the value of recorded music as I don't need to tell you is, is so so very tiny now that isn't the income any longer for, for bands. Their income is touring. So what we were doing when we toured in the 90s was advertising the latest record that we'd, we'd recorded. It was an advert. And and the record labels treated those tours as loss leaders. So they would fund all the, the tour buses and the catering and everything that you had to throw into doing a tour. The ticket prices significantly weren't very high mm. because That's the, the key, anticipation was not to make tons and tons of money it was to get as many people into the building as you could and I guess for the venues the compensation at the time was that people drank a lot mm. so they'd make lots of money on, on the audience once they're in the venue You know, these days it's utterly on its head because the touring for most bands until you're in the, the, the process of selling multiples of millions of records their income is that touring Mm. And that's why your ticket prices are going through the roof. Um, you know, that's why there are so many tours going on, that's why there's so many festivals as well. Um, because they make the money that way. So you, you so it's totally right. different.
1: Because I guess, like CDs, the price of CDs back then was still £12 a CD, something yeah. like that. Now it's seven ninety nine pounds a CD. Yeah. But going to a gig, say at an arena, now you're talking 60 quid in some cases, aren't you? Yeah. 60 70 quid for a ticket. but... Back then, I guess it would have been
0: more well, reasonably th- priced. Good yeah. example for you. Um, we did a special offer. That we did a tour in April, and the, the standard ticket was thirty quid because it was two bands headlining, so it was a decent price for for the, for the co-headline. Um, we did a special offer for a, a few days of um, nineteen ninety price because that was the last time we toured together. Was in nineteen ninety. Those tickets were seven quid. Mm. Seven quid. Mm. You know.
1: Yeah, um, so uh, there you go. A big difference it. Uh, right. Where am I coming on to now? So let's let's go straight on to your industry job now, because I think that's interesting to talk about. So um, yeah, do you want to talk us through what your industry life is and what you do, kind of on the, the promotion side, and some of the common mistakes that you'll see bands making when they approach industry, and how we can help these guys? I'm all about okay. what can we give them today to take away that they can go and go and fix or go and do.
0: Well, um, one of my favourite venues back in the day was Wolverhampton Civic Hall. It's a great, great, great venue. And luckily for me, I've got context because I've played lots of venues Mm. sort of all over the world of similar kind of sizes. And I don't think there's any that beat it. There's some that equal it, but it's just a perfect, perfect venue. Um, Long story short, um, one of our reunion gigs we did, we did at the Civic Hall. And I got to know the people who ran the place and they asked me if I could come and do press for them. So I went and did press for them. I guess I've got experience with press people doing interviews and whatever. And I'm a fairly sociable chap. So um, so I did their press, and I've been doing that since uh, 2004. I'm now the promotions officer. And so I look after publicising all the shows that are at the Civic Hall, the Walton Hall, and the Slade Rooms. Um, I've got a bunch of other things I have to look after as part of Wolverhampton Council as well. Um, but music-wise, it's it's those three venues. Two of them are closed for refurb at the moment, so the Civic Hall and the Wolf and Hall are, are being refurbished. But I'm still dealing with the Slade rooms, but I guess that's kind of more pertinent, mm. really, to what, what we're talking about. So, what I get from um, whoever is promoting the show, sometimes it's ourselves, the venue itself, sometimes it's an outside promoter, sometimes agents or whatever, I get the materials from from those people in order to publicise these shows that are going on, so I'm responsible for getting it onto the website of the the venue, on the Facebook pages of the venue, getting posters out um, put up everywhere we can, Um, making a leaflet to to put out there, Um, and sending out press releases to the local press to try and get them to write about these shows. So I get vast range of, of quality of stuff submitted and sent to me for me to utilise in that way um, so the Slade Room shows um, some of those shows will be, um, they'll be put in by agents who've got bands coming through like, like we, we were when we were first starting to tour and they're, kind of, they're all the next big, big thing everyone's the next big thing um, but the quality of stuff that I'll get from them compared with and, and please don't take this the wrong way as, as, as having a go at people it's just what it is unfortunately the quality of what I get from them compared with the quality of let's say the support bands that are coming to, to help fill the room for those bands that are coming through or the bigger local bands who are doing their own show um, as, a, as a bunch of bands together the difference in quality is vast it's enormous um, mm. and there, there, are, there are lots of things that um, that, that I've kind of learned over the years are a good good point I suppose so when you're thinking about presenting yourselves um, let's talk about the v- venue first where, you, where, you, where you're actually playing so the, the booker has said right, you're playing Okay, you're playing in the Slade Rooms in Wolverhampton on whatever night um, so what we need now is you, we need a biography we need a photo um, we need to know what your websites are what your twitter handle is what your facebook handle is all that kind of stuff and and that gets supplied to me ok so what I see a lot of is um photos that are that are just awful awful photos um and when I say an awful photo what I mean is it's, it's, a, it's a it's in someone's back garden um mm-hmm. the washing's on the line you <laughs> know um, mm-hmm. someone didn't cut the grass um that they maybe think it's kind of faux urban malaise, but, but actually. <laughs>
1: well, I've stolen the, the local newspaper photo, like you yeah, said. Yeah, yeah or,
0: or like the local newspaper photo where he stood in the middle of a field with the guitars not plugged in. Yeah. <laughs> going <laughs> like this. Um, so they look they look very amateurish. Now, it, it, Here's the thing, right? If you want people to take you seriously, and you know, I might be talking, um, I might be teaching granted to suck eggs here every single person in the room might, might already realise this but I've got to say it anyway whatever you use that represents you whatever it is it doesn't matter what it is the photo the words you use your Facebook page whatever they are if they if they don't make you look good then they're making you look shit <laughs> that's what they're doing yeah I know it's a horrible black and white thing way, way mm. of putting it mm. but you need to put thought into absolutely everything that you use to present yourselves with. So if you're going to do a photo, right, get someone who's a good photographer. And again, if it's not someone in the band, I don't know, scratch around, ask friends of friends, find someone. If they're a good photographer, okay, are they a photographer who knows how to photograph bands? Or are they a landscape photographer? (laughs) You know what I mean? Are they going to know what you're after? If you do, if you do find someone and you don 't know them, take them for a drink, have a chat, tell them what you're after. Are they then still the right person to take a photo and you, you probably think you might be thinking, "Well, is it worth all this effort for God's sake you know and yeah, it is, it mm-hmm. is because a crap photo takes a lot of undoing. Mm-hmm. the damage it can do can can take a while to 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 diminish you know
1: and we can we can make this point by just saying. Have you guys ever looked at a photo of a band before you've even heard anything they've done, any music at all? Not heard of the band and made up your mind about whether you're going to like the band or not based on one photograph? Can we all be honest? I, yeah, I think everyone yeah. does that. Yeah. You look at it, go, "I'm not going to like them." Look at the way that <laughs> dickhead, you know, stood there with his arrogant look on his face, or you know, you just well, make exactly. all these snap judgments, don't you? And it's like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you do. And, and yeah. the other thing is that you've got to remember that, um, you know, they may not have reached a point in their Lives, if you like, where they ought to be photographed. Because I guess, I'm, I'm talking about. I'm, I'm walking around, you know. Well, I mean, I'm talking from experience because I have some of our first photos were poorly, yeah. terrible got photos. Clothes, you, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. 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 Oh, our fashion sense was horrendous. I mean, regrets. Geez. Yeah. But. Uh, Sorry, yeah, which we then get <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. sorry, sorry about much. that. <laughs> <laughs> he <just> but, uh... <laughs> oh sorry. Yeah. Um but yeah, it, it, it all hartens back to the thing that like, okay, if you're gonna have your photo talk, okay, how are you gonna look? What okay, what's your expression gonna be? Are you gonna look cocky? Have you got anything to be cocky about? <laughs> are you a cocky person? <clears throat> you know, is this you? Is this your thing that you're actually um genuinely portraying, is this you that you're putting out there? And if it's not, and if the answer is not to have a photo, don't have a damn photo. Have Mm -hmm. a logo. Don't use a photo, you Mm -hmm. know, until you've got one that's worth having. Biographies. Mm -hmm. I've kind of come a full spectrum with biographies that that I'll get sent now. We're at a point now where I'm really hard pushed to find a biography, which to a degree is is, um, a blessing for some balance, because... I was getting so many biographies like, well, we met Bill in in, in the pub on the Saturday night, and fate cast its stone. And Trevor joined, but Trevor had to go and live with his auntie in mm. Istanbul, and, and it's just like it's got nothing to do with anything, and you you're kind of reading the thing like, mm. what are you trying to, What are you saying is? What you saying is that you don't really understand that it's it's a, a thing you're trying to make people be excited about. It's a yes, you're people, but you're expressing yourselves through the music. And and if you express yourself badly in other ways, you wouldn't do all that stuff that the the music is telling people. You know, do your talking through your music and then find the comfortable way to communicate um how how that should be presented, you know. If you're gonna do it, do it well. If you can't do it well okay, fine, don't do it, don't do it, leave it alone, Mm. Mod it over, find a way to do it, do it well. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's really good. Would you all be happy right now if I pulled up all your Facebook pages and your promotional stuff to say, yeah, our photo's great, our biography's great? Absolutely. Yeah? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So there is stuff that we could all agree, though, I assume that you could all... Work on today, you could all go away. There's always things you can tweak and fix, isn't there?
0: Could and just see it
1: from someone else's point of view.
0: Well, exactly. And the other yeah. thing is that you know, think about what it the, the use of the thing that you're doing. Okay, so um, say you're trying to get a, a, a piece in the local paper about the gig that you're doing, you need something really quite well written for them to be able to copy and paste because that's what they will do because they're lazy kids mm. to put it into the paper. If you put it on your Facebook page, well, you, it's an entirely different audience. It's a different purpose. Mm. You know, Does it need to say a great deal? Well, not necessarily. If you feel like you're the best band in the world and you're cocky and you look cocky in a photo and that's your thing, if you're like Liam Gallagher, mm. okay, fair enough. We're the best band in the world. <laughs> to you. Mm. Great. If that's your, If that's what you are, if you're comfortable with it, great. If you're not and you don't know what to say about yourselves, don't say anything. Let the music do the talking.
1: Mm. I always think as well. What a common mistake bands tend to make is um, assuming that the promoter they're sending their bio to, or they're sending all this promotional stuff to, is going to read everything as well. And it's mm. um, it's it's often not the case. You know, they like I say, if they've got pages of stuff and they've got five minutes literally to look at a band, they literally just want to press play. Sometimes on a YouTube video to see, you know, yeah. if, it, if it's the right thing, they don't want to see two or three different links to a SoundCloud page and things yeah. like that. Also, as well, SoundCloud's another thing as well. I don't know if you if this happens to you guys, but when I get sent um, stuff on SoundCloud, it never works right on my phone. I open it up and it tries to open it up in the app and then it tries to get me to log on to it. And yeah. I think a YouTube video, in some cases, is just easier to look at. But the last tip I would, from my point of view as well, because I've worked in promotions and when I've booked gigs, what bands tend to do is, um, if they're trying to get something from you, so they're trying to get onto your support show, they always phrase it from what the benefit is going to be to them. So you'll get something saying, you're, putting, you're promoting this gig soon. We, it would be ace for us if we supported at this because it would be a really good thing for us to do. We're going to get so many benefits from it. That audience are going to love us and it's going to be great for us. So will you do that for us? Whereas, but really, the, the conversation should be coming back to you saying, what can we do for you if you put us on this show... We feel we could sell an extra thirty tickets for it. Yeah. We would be five minutes on with our sound check. We don't need a full sound check. We'll just do a line check. We'll use whatever gear you tell us to, and we'll be straight off as well afterwards. So it's you know yep. you've got to flip the tables around a lot. times. say these are the benefits to you to put us on, not what's the benefit to me.
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah.
1: Thank you. Mike drop. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think this is probably a good um, point now um, to get some Q and A. I think I think we're coming up to the last the last bits really to get some yeah Q and A from the audience. If you've got oh look at that right on the hour as well. Like I said, it would be. It's almost like I've done it before. Do you get some? You get a few pictures as well in the room. That's right, Dan. Yeah, that'd be ace. So, does anyone want to be brave enough to? Um, you know, it doesn't even have to be music related. If you've got. A, A medical problem, things like that. We can we can have a go. I've been been in in, in, in (laughs) agony art actually. I
0: I have been in agony art on K Rock in uh, California. Yeah, yeah. What was the worst one you had? A lot of trouble. A lot of of
1: trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. What about I'm 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 having an affair? Should I tell my wife? That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And then we made the mistake at the end of it of
0: of, um, telling everyone there's a party at our hotel, and uh, and then that all (laughs) unravels. And but anyway, yes. Any, any, yeah?
1: There's a, there's a big difference between the first the, the singles that came out before the album and then the versions that were on the album. Yeah. Which did you prefer? Did
0: Which you prefer? did I prefer? Um different songs, different versions, I guess. Why are they different? Just That's
1: right, a just a lot more produced. Yeah, picture for Facebook. Than
0: the it singles. was and, and in fairness the um Sorry. the singles we were we were kind of trying things out, I suppose. Um, we're still kind of learning the ropes a bit, and um, why why was the album more pro- more? I guess it was because it was an album project, instead of it just being a couple of songs for this particular single. And let's get them done quick because we can't afford much studio time, and we'll get it done and back, whack it out. Can't faff around a long time on mixing and that kind of stuff. Of course, immediately that you you're signed to Sony, you've got an album to record you've got time, you've got time to think stuff through and you, you want the thing to sound consistent throughout, don't you? So you want, you want the production to be a consistent thing across the record. And I, I guess straight away that that brings about some compromises that, that haven't been present before. do doesn't matter if this single sounds different to that single, sounds different to that single, but that album needs to be consistently sounding. And I suppose there's pros and cons to that. Some of the songs mm-hmm. got treated a bit better and we managed to pull some more... Um, I guess, creativity out of it and, and add more interesting parts and, and things like um, samples that felt relevant to the song and gave the album more of a, a sort of a concept to to itself. But then I guess, yeah, you, there are points where if something sounded really raw on a single previously, previously it doesn't sound quite so raw in the context of the, the whole production of an album. Yeah. So some of them, yeah. I mean, um, I listened to Grace L. Green on the Ingredients EP, God, it's like I don't know how Dan played it, so I'm surprised his arms didn't fall off. It's super fast and really raw and but I but in fairness I didn't sing on that, that recording. I, I still really have not started singing properly until we recorded our album. Um, so there are elements here and there where you know it's 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 a bit of give and take. But it, it's a disease that's very, very common. Bands will demo an album, you'll hear these new songs super raw, and you'll think, wow Right. Mm. then they re- released the actual album you think oh it sounds a bit a bit kind of tamed first, first time I saw you you played with Scorpio Rising I uh, thought uh, they were the best live band I'd ever, sorry <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and then when their album the first few EPs and when their
1: album came out I just couldn't even listen
0: to it mm. it was astonishing and yeah. it's, it's sad when that happens mm. it, you know our, our second album for me um, it had all the dynamics produced out of it to a large degree, because you had a mix where um nobody wanted anything to be louder than anything else. Can't mix that way. Whose fault is that then, is that? That, Well that was that was the producer's fault. Um well and our fault, God yeah, of course it was our God, fault as well. We listened to it, yeah. you know, we said yeah, that sounds alright. Um, but you've bought into a process, and when you buy into that kind of process, sometimes you need someone with leadership to go, you know what, it doesn't matter if we don't hear the bass in this bit. I'm going to turn the guitar right up because that's what you want to hear in this bit. But if you've bought into recording loads of different parts and everyone's a collaborative thing, you know, then it's oh, you can't hear the bass there. I better turn that up again. Oh, hang on Have You thought you yeah, remastering your uh, album? Um, you got the rights to do it. Well, yeah, we'd have to talk to Sony. Oh, I I'm talking well, to Sony. I yeah. don't enjoy it very much. In fact, in fairness, they don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> they like, be We're like, Hello? yeah, it's John from Ned's do <laughs> <"Who?" laughs> What? The... It'd be quite interesting to remaster them, though, it? it? would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting. In the light of what you do
1: now, You might have sparked an idea there. I can see <laughs> the cogs <concurs> are <laughs> <laughs> whirring at I mean, the moment. Just bear, bear with me a second. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a worthwhile idea. I mean... The weird thing about us is that we're five guys who are full-time professionals doing other things and finding the time for for the band, it sounds daft. Why would you not find time for your band? But you know, kids, mm. jobs, you know, we we came out with nothing and we had to build careers mm. to, to survive. We're very, very, very blessed that we can do what we can do.
1: It's mm. great, I mean you can you can go out and play at, like these academy shows, two or three thousand people. Not a lot of bands can still go and do that and you know you're not no. beholden to anyone, are you? You can no. arrange whatever time you want to do it. Be in bed by eleven o'clock most nights if you want to be.
0: And you know <laughs> <laughs> you you would wet yourselves laughing at the discussions that we have about when we can and can't do things. Yeah. You know, well my kids got karate on a Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God is that. Yeah. You know, it's not very rock and roll, but what you're getting now from us is a, a very pure band. Yeah. We're not a cynical item selling band like we were or necess- necessarily necessarily became at the end of our recording career if you like
1: any other questions?
0: so are you still are you doing any writing new album? I've asked him this we don't find the time to he do it he won't do it, it. <laughs> as I said our, our our curse and our blessing was the way we wrote songs very time consuming right. very very time consuming because you've got to have all five people in the band at the same time, they've all got to be on it that day, yeah. you know. I had a hard day yesterday, I can't think of anything, I don't know. So you don't come to and the it's...
1: room with ideas, that's what you literally go to the room then come up with an idea.
0: Well, most of the time it, someone would come with a riff, but that would be one riff, mm. so that's at best is a, a verse for a song that everyone else has got to mm. come up with their, their idea for. And you know, I'll tell you my sob story now, every single song you've you've heard by my band, um, I wrote the lyrics in the room at the time, there and then. And if I didn't, they lost interest and that idea got canned. It's no pressure. Idea, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? No pressure yeah. at all. It's oh, not... I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to play this anymore. Just play, me, play it again for another five minutes. I'm nearly there. Oh, I'm bored. That <laughs> fucking off. Let's go on to the next thing.
1: It's not, not the know. most... Not Because most singers do probably have, like... Pages and pages of the lyrics, and not they? And I come and say, yeah. "How about we write something around you know this theme or this this title I've come up with?" Or,
0: but, that, but, but my life was never like that because, yeah. and, and this is the thing. I mean, I've never really viewed myself as a musician as such because I'm inspired by music. I'm inspired by it; it makes me do stuff. Mm. So I'm doing nothing until they're stood in the room playing a riff that I like. Nothing's happening until that happens, and then when I hear that riff, it kind of puts me in mind of some kind of feeling, of emotion, of something, and whatever I was whinging away at my girlfriend to do about the night before, mm. somehow finds its way out into a lyric, <laughs> listening to that music, but sitting down going, oh, what do I want to write about today? Or, mm. Yeah, I'm so tortured on to... it. <laughs> <laughs> I must get this into a song. No, never. Yeah, Never.
1: Did you not have a driving force in the band, like a particular member who kind of took it upon themselves to move things forward a bit more
0: well it, it was me mostly but but the way things got moved forward was just by by um, being the peacemaker and making sure that people didn't fall out with each other yeah. just making them get on with each other be patient you know Did And you like, that
1: after a while?
0: yeah yeah at times it was very difficult because you're all are any of you old enough to remember on the buses TV series on the buses okay programme about bus drivers and there's the depot manager called Blakey and Blakey's the one who tells everyone what to do and he has to sort all the problems out and whatever and they used to call me Blakey sometimes and you think fuck off you know I'm the singer of the band I'm supposed to be a sex symbol you know you are, are supposed John to... you are oh, thanks Scott <laughs> <God>, thanks mate <laughs> but, but you know but the practicality of it was yeah, yeah I was peacemaker for, for very very long periods of time but it, you know it was worth it it was well worth it Christ it was really worth it for the for the, the results of, of getting those people who really wouldn't necessarily work together to do it and work together come up with something different you know?
1: that's Ace if there's any other um, questions
0: yet how do you handle all the merch nowadays obviously you said about your designs being quite crucial back in the day and stuff like that Yep. Is it sort of more of, more in your own hands now? Do you handle all, all your merchandise? Do you still post out merch online and stuff like that? Well, we, I mean, we we always controlled all of our designs. Yep. That was always the case, that and still That really shifted through the first half bit of the band and doing it now. Sort of. No, yeah. we 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 held on. We held on to the merch, um, yep. which I'm very grateful for. Was that part of a deal you made early on that sort of secured that? Well, no. Um, we had a printer who was local and he printed all our, all our shirts for us. Didn't tend to be part of the deals back then, did it? The no,
1: they, no. They, they try and do it now, don't they? Yeah, yeah the 360, the, the
0: 360 thing, thing wasn't wasn't really yeah. happening. That's
1: a, that's a good point, though, because nowadays, if you have loads of T-shirts left after to, to, you can you can stick them up online, can't you? And sell you can. Them on the website after yeah. which you wouldn't be been able to have done that. Exactly. So yeah. we, we
0: used to have to try and get it right, but, yeah. I mean, but we sold such volumes... Um, you know, they'd be arriving with a new bunch every every yeah. gig at, at, at our height. These days, um, the demands on our time, the fact that we we are not a full time band, we don't exist for big periods of time until we need to exist. You know, uh, means that we we just have to trust people with certain aspects. So, design wise, it's all still one hundred percent whatever we want to put out. But there's a, a company who, who look after the, the merch for us.
1: And they sell it for you at the venues and things yeah, like that. And yeah. the venue takes a cut as well, which is what we were talking yeah. about on there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you when know, you
1: start playing above a 1,000 capacity venues, well, you will explain this better than me, aren't you?
0: Yeah, I mean, the O2 group, I, I haven't played all the venues recently, but the O2 mm. group, audiences above 1,000, they take 25% of gross mm. and charge you to sell as well.
1: Their justification is you're setting up a market stall on their premises, basically. So they want their customers. Ozzy Osbourne used to take half of the
0: support band's merch. Like <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I was gonna say Sharon did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, in those situations, if you're supporting someone, you know, look what their T-shirt prices are on the merch stand and make yours the same. Because you yeah. piss them off if you don't. Yeah, yeah. Or, or They'll match. come and tell you. Yeah, they'll come and tell you to change it. You know. I give ours away. Well, we, you know, we did, we did quite early on, we did, we used to give them to people, if we thought they were going to wear them,
1: Yeah. was yeah, just exactly. free
0: advertising.
1: If you give it away, it's not worth anything, though no. you've got to keep thinking that. <laughs> we sold them until we got to a certain level of drunkenness, and then we just frisbee and vinyls, out to think about Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we, we thought we'd made a massive stand there once, um, back in the day, we were playing the Town and Country Club, which is now the Forum in yeah. London, and, um... They'd introduced a new tally for for merch that was I can't remember what the percent was, but it was crazy. It was nowhere near twenty five percent, but it was it was a crazy one. And um, and in protest we we threw the entire evening's merch thing into the (laughs) ground. Idiots. (laughs) What were we thinking? (laughs) not only we not had the cut took off us Yeah. Like, we are just given all out, that stuff away
1: and then you went outside and you had all the bootleggers threatening to keep your yeah. head in as well like yeah, you were saying
0: <laughs> yeah. but the fans, the fans loved it yeah. they were
1: like yeah <laughs> well done right I think um, we've kind of got naturally to the end there because I know we've got to see a few other bands for one to ones but um, thank you so much for doing this again thank always you, a pleasure never a chore to talk to you John thank I'll you say. very much but, to you, uh, yeah, round of applause I'm sure you're going to uh, st- uh, stick around anyway. What are you going to have to? Because you can coming back with us. I'm not getting But uh, yeah, if you want to get some pictures and things like that. Can we do a picture first? actually? For um, just... Welcome to a podcast by 24 Gareth Gold.